from the well-composted Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. It is time for a very special episode of Chemical Free Horticultural Hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Earth Day is upon us, and May 1st to the 7th is International Compost Awareness Week. And so, on today's show, we'll drop the usual phone calls. The answers haven't been all that good lately anyway. And devote the entire show to all things compost, including California's new law that requires every household to compost. So keep your eyes and your ears right here, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than you harvesting premium black gold, as well as your garlic and tomatoes, right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to a very special edition of You Bet Your Garden, from the studios of the Univest Public Media Center in Bethlehem, PA. We are celebrating International Compost Awareness Week, which is yet to be a week away, but we wanted you to be prepared and have time to go out and buy a cart. You're going to love what we have coming up for you, and, and let's just dive right into it with Recology Public Relations Manager, Robert Reed. Uh, Robert Reed is the Media Relations Manager for Recology.com. And I got so much to ask you about. Got a, a dinosaur and a ducky and some other characters there. You're surrounded. You're yeah. a gang. It's not a dinosaur. It's Godzilla. All right. Uh, I appreciate your love of my toys. The first is um, about a week ago, um, there appeared stories in all of the newspapers. California's Californians forced to compost. And I thought, oh, man. That's where we're going to go for our rat meat later on. But then as I delved into it, it was totally, totally wrong. You're not telling people to compost. You're telling them that their compostables must be separated out. And I I guess that's a third thing, or God knows California could be an 80th thing. But I'm sure a lot of people were terrified. Morris, do we know how to compost? And, um, and instead, I'll, I'll tell you a story from my childhood. My parents would not let you use the word garbage if you meant trash. The trash guys, they were trash men, mostly dry, you know, cardboard, you know, yum, 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 yum. Um, but the, the other side was the slop cans out back. And from the day I was born and my, 
grandparents would even tell me this, too. It was like second nature. Your garbage went out back and your trash went out front. And your garbage got picked up two, three, four times a week by pig farmers in these giant trucks that steamed it. And I've been led to believe that that was one of the first um, serious recovery programs for kitchen waste in the East Coast. Well, um, we, we experienced that in San Francisco where uh, there were there was a trucking company that was collecting food scraps from some restaurants and then using it to feed pigs. And then the city was looking to reduce the amount of material it was sending to landfill. And it asked uh, Recology, the city's recycling company, if we could collect food scraps separately uh, from people's houses and from businesses and turn them into compost. And we started doing that in 1996 mm -hmm. and, and now we're just 26 years later and it's been very successful and many many benefits to the soil and to local farms and uh, and now as many cities across the country are following san francisco's lead and now cities up and down the state of california are also uh, implementing curbside food scrap collection programs for composting. Okay. So before I go, and I know you've got this long list of how compost helps the earth and the soil and, you know, no offense, but with this show, you're 30 years behind. <laughs> you know, we already know that. One of my concerns over the years is people will get these uh, extension bulletins and oh, I got in trouble. I got in such trouble at the University of Pennsylvania. Really good friend of mine. We were going to go out for dinner. But she said, hey, there's this free composting workshop. And um, we should go there first. We can each get um, a compost bin. If you behave, what are the odds, right? So we go there, and there's this woman who's obviously never made compost before but read a couple of chapters out of a book and said, okay, the compost pile should consist of grass clippings. Excuse me. Excuse me. Aren't many grass clippings contaminated with long-lasting herbicides that would destroy the product? Moving on... Next one was um, wood chips. <laughs> and I'm going, how, how long do you expect to live before those wood chips break down into something? And the next one was, of course, um, shredded, shredded paper, shredded junk mail. Sure, throw your old credit cards in there, too. And it was like, oh, my God. This isn't a compost bin. This is a, a, a pit of horror. You know, before I could get up and take over the show, my friend grabbed me by the neck and dragged me to dinner. <laughs> you know, I think I got what, you, what you're doing. What are we going to do about misinformation? Well, I, I think 
This is a very, very important question about information and providing facts and, and encouraging people to compost correctly, to engage and participate in these programs. But um, I think the success of these programs is dependent in a large way on uh, having a good conversation with residents and, and with businesses so that people are aware of the very things that you're asking about and, and people understand uh, what they're being asked to do and where the compost goes and why it, it benefits the soil and how and, and you know that they ought to be better at the bin and sort correctly and, and start simply by composting their banana peels and coffee grounds and their eggshells all things that came from farms and ought to go back to the soil. If I may interrupt, they're not composting them. They are contributing them to a huge amount of waste that you will put into windrows and professionally turn it into compost. We, we will collect it. We are collecting it curbside. We have been doing this for 26 years and we, uh, we have put a lot of uh, resources and effort into our composting process. And we operate eight composting facilities here on the West Coast. But we're doing, we're having a lot of dialogue and communication with our customers. So while they might not actually be making the compost, they are providing the feedstock so that we mm. can collect it and make the compost. So in a way they're making compost. They're, they're part of a composting program they're they're an essential part and they're we can't do it without them and we're in this together and they were really some very good things are being accomplished in this way we're helping farms grow improve their soil health we're helping farms we're keeping materials out of landfills we're reducing landfill gas emissions and i could go on and on i don't want to give too long of answers but um we're doing a lot of good work together and just in San Francisco alone, we have kept more than 2 million tons of compostable material out of the landfill uh, through this program. Now, do you think that has anything to do um, with the incredible number of high-class restaurants? Are they leading the charge? Because they often get um, charged by weight, all right? Yeah, we were fortunate to have somewhere on the order of 5,000 restaurants in San Francisco. You can eat in a different restaurant here every day for the rest of your life, um, if you wish. And, um, and so they, they, when we started doing this, uh, they very much embraced this program quickly. And they, they're doing a great job, for the most part, on separating their food scraps um, the kitchen trimmings from the preparation of meals, the the plate scrapings, you know, the the broccoli stems and the French fries that people leave on their plate, and those go into the green bin, and then we collect that material. So the the restaurants uh, and businesses provide about 50% of the uh, material that we're collecting in San Francisco for composting. When the other 50% would come from homes and apartment buildings. Yeah, but that first 50% is pristine. Um, there's no grass clippings, there's no junk mail, there's no wood chips, right? 
Yes, the, the material that we're getting from the restaurants is um, very rich in, in nutrients because it's, you know, eggshells and, and, and other food scraps that are coming from the kitchens of these many restaurants. Man, eggshells and coffee grounds. You could grow a new planet from that alone. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of calcium there and there's a lot of other nutrients and minerals there. And um, it, it, you know, becomes food for the microbial colonies uh, in the topsoil on the, on the farms that grow our food. Okay, now let's drop back a little bit. I'm very familiar with commercial composting, large-scale composting, windrows the size of the Empire State Building laid, laid on its side. Um, there is not almost any brown material, dry brown material, that I can think of that you could combine with this, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, I'm trying to the kitchen scraps. I mean, which have no nitrogen and also no, you know, how would you say it? Um, the leaf matter itself um, is this. Does this get mixed with municipal um, hunga dunga? Well, we um, let's talk about our feedstock some more. So uh, we have a hundred thousand, more than a hundred thousand single-family homes in San Francisco. Uh, they all have a green bin uh, for their compostable material. Now, stop right there and tell me what a green bin looks like. Well, it looks like uh, um, uh, in, today they're uh, it's a plastic uh, cart, you know that. Um, is about 32 gallons in size. So mm -hmm. it's the size of a traditional uh, uh, trash bin in, the, in, in America, but the color, it's just green. It has wheels, it has a lid, it has a handle. So you can mm -hmm. wheel it uh, you know, from your side yard to the curb, um, uh, but it's green in color and it has some um, photographs on the lid so no matter what language you speak you can see that the type of material that you're supposed to put inside which would be your food scraps and your yard trimmings the yard trimmings being sticks and leaves okay now i heard you say that is that because you know that i am against the use of grass clippings and composting well no it wasn't on my mind i mean i i i hear you and and i'm I had, did watch some of the episodes of your show and, and um, looked on your website. And yeah, I too, um, um, well, anyway, what I'm saying is people in San Francisco either have no yards or yeah. they have small yards. Mm -hmm. And um, we, we don't have dandelions here and that type of problem. So uh, people, you know, the, the material that we're getting from people is, both food scraps and 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 then if they're putting their yard trimmings in there, it's it's typically sticks and leaves. You know, quite quite a few leaves from bushes and and other plants they would have in their garden. But um, here in San Francisco, we've got this foggy weather, this natural air conditioning, and um, it's great for growing uh, lettuce and things of that nature. But we don't have the big yards that you would have in the mid Midwest. 
Okay. I'm not in the Midwest. I'm in Pennsylvania. <laughs> I'm sorry. I grew up in Minnesota, so. I... Well, and, and again, it's probably going to take your brain years to come to normal temperature after that, right? <laughs> Well, it's time for us to take a little break in this fascinating conversation and remind you that you are listening to an all-new You Bet Your Garden celebrating International Compost Week from the Univest Studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. We'll be right back. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to an especially thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden. Broadcasting from the Univest Public Media Center in Bethlehem, PA. Coming up in May, May 1st to the 7th, it is International Compost Awareness Week. Did you buy a card? And we are devoting this entire program to everything you need to know, should know, and new knowledge about this precious black gold that our gardens rely on more than almost anything else. Okay, so when did this program begin? In 1996. And what's your compliancy? Well, the it's very high in terms of participation. Um, the city has in 19, I'm sorry, in 2009, the city passed an ordinance, a local law, making participation mandatory. Mm -hmm. So um, all, pretty much all properties in San Francisco uh, participate in this program. Prior to being mandatory, we, about half of them were participating, mm -hmm. and, now, and now all of them are. Um, years ago, I remember articles about yeah, and I'm making this word up, compost clowns. Uh, the inspectors who would go around to make sure that your trash was in the right containers. Okay, well, um, 
you know, there, the city of San Francisco has a Department of the Environment, mm-hmm. which um, San Francisco regulates uh, Recology, Recology being the city's recycling employee-owned recycling company. Mm-hmm. And um, the department has um, staffers uh, that do a lot of things to promote environmental programs, mm-hmm. including cur- curbside composting. And one of the things they do is go out and meet with restaurants and businesses and um, help them right size their containers, help them make sure that they're recycling and composting. And and they do, um, you know, they should speak to this themselves because they do the work, but um, they will uh, do a waste um, analysis for businesses and make sure that they're uh, putting the right things in the, in the right bins, you know, and, and also I would add, um, you know, a, a trash collector, um, they they know who are the best, you know, uh, participants on their route and, and who need a little more help. And, um, you know, they may go to four or 500 uh, addresses in completing their route on a given day. And they too have the ability to to speak to customers and say, hey, the the city wants us to, you know, recycle and compost as much as we can. The city wants to really divorce itself ultimately from landfills. Can you help us out a little bit? Can you help us, you know, sort a little bit, take a moment? We even built a website called betteratthebin.com. And we're constantly, you know, encouraging and trying to inspire people to take a moment when they're uh, tossing their discards away to make efforts to get them in the right bin. I can remember when my children were six and eight and we were having a Christmas party and uh, somebody went under the sink and tossed uh, a can into the um, into the regular trash. And my daughter, Amanda, came up and said, no, that's recycling. Well, bravo for her. And and. You know, uh, this has been studied about the, the 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 ways to get the best ways to get adults to uh, be better recyclers, and they found that you know they looked at different direct mail and TV ads and and all kinds of different things, and they found that um, teaching children about recycling, oh yeah, water, you know, is the most effective way to get adults to to be better recyclers and and actually you know compost. I mean. In San Francisco, I think we've heard the story many times that kids go home from school and say, hey, mom, hey, dad, we compost at school. Um, Why don't we compost at home? And then the next day, dad's got a kitchen compost pail on the kitchen counter. Yeah. Uh, Guilt is the gift that keeps on giving. Um, So when we get to the Windrow site, how are things happening there? Are you getting high quality compost? Yeah, we um, operate eight composting facilities, five in California. Um, we operate two of the largest composting facilities in California. And we've worked with agronomists and some of the best in the country uh, that have advised us on our composting process. Um, we've tried different techniques and we've put a lot of effort and energy into this and um we're, we are receiving a lot of material um mm-hmm. san francisco san francisco alone 
is sending 500 tons of material to the composting facility every day. Hmm. And we're turning this into, um, we've got, we've got an 11 step process, Mike. Um, and so we, you know, we, we really have put our shoulder into this and we're producing a, a very nutrient rich compost. Um, and the farmers want all of it that they, that they can get where they're really, it's helping them grow more healthy food and it's helping them save water. Okay. So that's the end game is to distribute the finished compost to mostly agricultural facilities. Yeah. Most of it goes on to vineyards and orchards. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some of it goes to landscape supply yards mm-hmm. um, so that people who want you know, we have a yard and they want some for to as a soil amendment for their garden. And um, what, can, I'm, I'm sorry, I, what do you call the finished product? Well, we have different, um, different blends. Um, mm-hmm. um, so we're, we're not, um, you know, we don't have a bunch of, you know, um, branded names uh, that we would be promoting um, you know, in a, in a, in a conventional way, but we do make a number of different types of compost. And then one of the really neat things is, um, we, we make custom blends for the farms. So mm-hmm. we'll, we'll have amendments on our site, like gypsum and lime and sandy loam and redwood sawdust and rice hulls. Um, and so in minerals. And so we have the ability to help to make custom blends to help farms get really a, a soil amendment that they a specific type of soil amendment or blend that they would need to get their soils back in balance. But you are supplying the bulk. You're supplying the um, massive amount and then you tease it a little bit with wood ash or something like that. Um, you know, I realize you're, you're talking about different windrows and different um, types of compost. This is um, essential right now to the people of San Francisco. The, the primary users are going to be, um, if they're non-agricultural, professional, they're going to be people in San Francisco saying, hey, I want some of your good well, I, I think, I, I, you know, some of it, there are a, a lot of gardens, uh, community gardens in San Francisco. There's 50, and we do donate compost to the mm-hmm. community garden program. Um, there are uh, people that are lucky and fortunate, and they have, you know, there are some people that have yard, gardens and yards, although gardens would be, uh, most people would not have gardens in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Most people here so over 70% of the people who live here live in apartment, some form of an apartment. So in but, one way, um, you're taking all this material that really has no place in the city itself. And obviously you and I know it's caused tremendous problems. And you are then moving it along into a different material and moving it outside the metro area. Yeah, it's going out. It's go, we're turning it into compost. 
and then that compost is going on to uh, a lot of vineyards and a lot of orchards that are um, kind of at the periphery of the Bay Area. You know, um, our, our there's 200 major cities in this country, and they're most for the most part they're surrounded by farms, as you know, mm -hmm. and um, those farms uh, they they need to feed their soils so mm -hmm. that they can be healthy. And, and then that's what this program does. It's, you know, one of the interesting things is uh, the U.S. Department of Agriculture wrote a book. Um, I understand from an agronomist told me about this uh, um, in 1938. And, and they were asking cities, large cities like Chicago and such to collect their food scraps separately so that, so that that could be, could go back to the, back to the land, go mm -hmm. back to the farms to help them be healthy. I think that I think the people in agriculture understood that there's tremendous nutrients and there's tremendous value in food scraps. And it really wasn't until many years later in 1996 when San Francisco was the first large city to answer the bell on, on this, uh, you know, to do a citywide uh, curbside collection program mm -hmm. to turn food scraps into composting. I, I know there are, you know, cases where people were collecting it to feed it to pigs, but we're doing it in a very large way to to um, turn it into compost so that, that that can go back to farms. And I think that in the last uh, 10 years, particularly in the last five years, that um, there's been a lot of cities across the country that have seen the the upside, the, the, the many upsides to doing this and have been following San Francisco's lead. And now um, we're very pleased about that and we're very supportive of that. And uh, we, we are very happy now that uh, there's 400 cities in California. So the cities up and down the state are, are also looking to collect their food scraps and turn them into compost or, or do other things with them so they do not go into landfills and we can reduce a landfill gas emissions, including methane, which is a potent greenhouse gas. Now, don't make it sound like California is the only place that does this. Um, are you familiar with the old Philadelphia slop can out uh, in the alley? No. I have been led to believe that we were among the first recyclers. Um, and it was, uh, well, my mother would make sure that everything was done correctly. Um, but I think there was this idea of, well, you're putting out clean trash. You're not wasting food, which in you know, my generation was unholy, and um, everybody had a slop can out back. And you know what I mean by a slop can. Yeah, I think it would be food scraps and, and other vegetable well, peelings uh, and other, what you, what you might consider wet waste, I imagine. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. Our, um, our trash was dry, and that's why I, oh, I freak out when I hear people say, oh, here comes the garbage man. And I go, I doubt it. Do you find that difference between trash and garbage? 
Yeah, I do. And, you know, I, we encourage people to look at trash with a recycler's eyes so that, you know, we, we're, we're, our business model is recycling and composting. We're, we're trying to, you know, we're trying to send as little as possible to landfill. So when we look at the material that people set out at the curb or a business sets out at the curb, we don't see garbage. We see food scraps or we see material that we can recycle. Mm -hmm. We see, we see cardboard, we see wood, we mm -hmm. see metal. Um, you know, we, we look at all of these things as materials that can be that we want to aspire to highest and best use. But again, this is not limited to California. And the reason we're having you on right now is the fact that International Composting Day is May 1st. Is that correct? It, it is in right, a couple of weeks after Earth Day. So. Right. It would be early in May, yes. And then there's International Composting Week, uh, which is the first to the seventh. Yeah, and we uh, support this idea, and we um, try to do communication around this uh, I, these these dates on the calendar. So we do our social media posts, and we mention them in our customer newsletters, and we do a lot of presentations uh, through our school education program and, and to community groups. Yeah, we're, you know, these, it's, it, these are opportunities to talk about composting. We also talk a lot about composting around Thanksgiving as we approach Thanksgiving. Ha, 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 leftovers. Well, you know, Thanksgiving's the biggest food week of the year in this country. And it's also the yeah. most treacherous holiday in the in the country. Well, and it, but it's a it's a really a great opportunity to to have a conversation with people about farms and food and the importance of connecting ourselves, you know, with farms and and gardening and food and the people who grow our food and the, and soil health and and protecting the earth. I mean, the earth is feeding us it's it's helping produce the things we need to you know to, to survive not only the food but the air and the water and we have to uh, do, we all are encouraged to do our part to protect the health of the planet which is really protecting our own health i'm mike mcgrath and you're listening to a very special you bet your garden from the Univest Studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. We are celebrating all things compost today in honor of International Compost Awareness Week. Coming up next week, did you get a card? Well, you better hurry, because we're coming right back with more of this fascinating conversation. This is 91.3 FM, WLVR Bethlehem, WLVR.org. Welcome back to a very important and special episode of You Bet Your Garden 
from the studios of the Univest Public Media Center in Bethlehem, PA. We are celebrating all things compost, including whether Californians really need to all have compost bins in their backyard. Let's rejoin this fabulous conversation. If people want more information about your specific group, Recology, where do they go? Well, our website is recology.com. And then, you know, you can also, uh, we've got a lot of information on there. And we've also set up this website better at the bin.com. Mm-hmm. Try to encourage people to be better at the bin. And uh, there are many other uh websites and resources that talk about composting and and the benefits of composting um you know so people can just search that on the internet but do you know i wrote the book on composting mike mcgrath's book of compost find it on amazon you'll pay a fortune yeah your book and other books I better order a copy but i'm going to do it through my local independent bookstore there you go All right, sir. Um, Robert Reed will be listing a whole bunch of resources, not just about recology, but about how this trend can spread. Yeah, everything starts in California, um, but sooner or later it makes its way down to the masses. And I love the idea um, a lot of my listeners want to compost, but don't have a clue, and then they get into trouble. I love the idea of um, somebody coming around on Friday morning, compost, do you have any compost? (laughs) So keep up the good work. I I can tell you've been at it for a while, and um, let's all have a good international compost day and week. Yeah, let's let's all, you know, every all those things that we're eating and the coffee grounds that we're producing, the banana peels, the eggshells, and on and on. All these things came from a farm. They ought to go back to a farm uh, to help feed the soil. And in my mind, it's a little bit like leaves falling off a tree uh, in the fall, and they fall around the base of the tree, and and the bugs and critters start to nibble on them, and as those all these nutrients pass through the bodies of the worms and the bugs. They, they go into the soil and, and help make other nutrients available to the roots of the tree. So let's do this as a community. We can, we can do these things in a very big way. I hear the Coca-Cola thing. I'd like to save the world, you know. But it's true. I mean, this is what you've devoted your life to. This is what I've devoted my life to. Um, my first book was about tomatoes because, duh, you know, you got to do tomatoes. But my second book was about composting. And I think the second one helped people more. Well, I, you know, bless you for, you know, encouraging people to do their part and your efforts and other efforts like what you're doing help people reconnect with farms. And, you know, if you go back a few generations, a lot more people worked on farms. We were more connected to places that grow our food. Um, and and then now we've crossed the point where most people live in cities. And 
I, I think it's important that we reconnect with farms, that we understand how nature works and we all do our part to make it work because we can't just we can't just take, we have to participate in 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 to make it function correctly. Oh God, let it be so. All right, man. <laughs> Robert Reed, R-E-C-O-L-G-Y dot com. Uh, I'm sure you'll find a bunch of stuff there. Um, and this is only the beginning of our celebration of Compost Week. Well, very good to meet you. Thank you for the good work you're doing and for keeping, you know, important messages out there in front of people, having this information, good information available to people. And it's not always easy to make that happen, but thank, thank you for the, the good work. I'm sure people very, very much appreciate all your efforts. Yeah, more than I deserve, but I realized about a year ago that, oh my God, I don't have a job, I have a career. Well, good, that's great. Yeah, I mean, you and I and others like us, we're gonna die happy people because we we helped build something. I mean, it, we, we can't solve all the problems, but uh, at least we can help improve soil health and help people engage here a little bit and, and yeah, and when it's time for them, when we're done, when our when we're be composted, we can be worm, can be worm food. We can compost yeah. each other. <laughs> oh dear! All right, Robert Reed, Ducky, say goodbye. Black, black, black. So, we just achieved a monumental show on the current stage of composting in America. What can we follow that up with for Question of the Week? One of my most popular topics, and one that should be repeated every time this year, is it good compost or is it bad compost? Lucinda, in the ancient Philadelphia neighborhood, of Germantown, writes, I've been going to the recycling center in Fairmount Park and bringing home buckets of their free compost. But as I listen to you more carefully, I'm wondering if the compost is full of pesticides. An analysis from the soil lab at Penn State is posted at their website, but I don't know how to make any sense of it. Can you help? I know I should just make my own, and I'm working on getting a worm bin set up. Okay, nobody makes enough of their own compost, Lucinda. I have about 20 different systems working. A gigantic circle of metal fencing filled with shredded leaves, smaller circles of welded wire fencing filled with shredded leaves and coffee grounds, four big black plastic composters with locking lids, that are filled with shredded leaves that I mix kitchen waste into. An indoor stackable worm bin that processes most of our kitchen waste. And last summer's tomato cages that I fill with shredded leaves in the fall. And yet, I will barely have enough for my needs. In fact, I'll probably have to import some myself this spring for a special project I'm doing. I have three local sources to choose from. 
a nearby garden center, a big mulch dealer that sells supremium compost, and my local municipal municipal uh, my local supply. I'm getting a five-gallon bucket from each and giving them all the enhanced duck test. Retired University of Maryland compost guru Dr. Frank Gowen taught me the basic three-step compost test. Does it smell like rich black soil? Does it look like rich black soil? And does it feel like rich black soil when you pick it up and squeeze it? If all three answers are yes, it's a duck, um, which is to mean good compost. Over the years, I added two other tests, one to detect the persistent lawn grass herbicides that weren't around when I first spoke with Dr. Gowen, and one I created to test for possible weed seeds. Anyway, you fill two containers, regular plant pots with good drainage, with the compost. In one, you plant a good amount of fresh seeds. Before you count, um, <clears throat> in one, you plant a good amount of fresh seed. The other one you leave naked. Then you keep them both at room temperature and water them every day. If the naked one stays naked, it's not weedy. Good job. If the seedlings germinate well in the 80% range or higher and the young plants look healthy, herbicides are not an issue. Pea and bean seeds are supposed to be the best indicators of herbicide residues. But the Penn State Soil Lab did a very similar germination test with the seeds of a classic cucumber variety, Market Moore 76. My advice is just to use the freshest seeds you have on hand. The results of that professional germination test? The compost scored, my compost scored 100. It sprouted just as many seeds, and the seedlings were just as vigorous as seeds planted in a control of a bagged, soil-free starting mix. And that's what Al Ratti of the U.S. Composting Council said was the most significant number on their 13-page report. The Philly compost grew seedlings perfectly. And if seedlings grow perfectly, everything else is almost certainly going to grow well. Remember, seedlings are the canary in the coal mine. And Al said that, oh, <clears throat> remember, seedlings are the canaries in the coal mine. And Al said that 100% was really the only number he needed to see. But the rest of the report did have what we call listings of concern. Things like soluble salts, fecal coliform, eek, lead, mercury, zinc, all very scary words. When I, when I read them, I yelled, I don't want any fecal coliform in my garden. Well, good luck to me, because it turns out that fecal coliform is present in every gram of soil on the planet. The Fairmount Park compost had 25 milligrams per kilogram of lead. The EPA limit is 300. Fecal coliform was a 4.5 on a scale of 1,000 units allowed. 
So I could have been a poopy a hundred times worse and still be on the side of the angels. My head was spinning trying to figure this stuff out. I looked up a lot of numbers on my own, but finally realized I had to ask for help. And I'm the guy who wrote the best-selling book on compost and whose TEDx talk on composting just passed a million views on YouTube. So my relative inability to immediately interpret these test results showed me that, quote, civilians have almost no chance. And I reacted just as emotionally to the line items like lead and arsenic that in reality were detected at levels the EPA and Composting Council consider incredibly low. But to me, they were just scary words and random numbers on a page without any kind of context. So what's a poor gardener to do? Back to the enhanced duck test. Don't even think about using compost that smells bad or looks bad or that grows weeds or distorted seedlings. Remember that all gardening is a crapshoot. There are no pristine areas left here on Krypton. And even compost that's only reasonably good is still 100 times better than chemical fertilizers. And read up on these important subjects. You'll find lots more info on these topics in our frequently asked section of YouBetYourGarden.org. Well, that sure was some timely info about compost care. Now, one thing, luckily for you, we also have a special question of the week all about how to test bulk compost and topsoil before you bring it home. You'll find this valuable advice in print at the Gardens Alive website. To read it over at your leisure or your leisure, just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to contaminate my compost if I don't get out of this studio. Them's fighting words. But we must be out of time. So you can call us anytime at 888-492-9444 or send us your mail and you're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shores at YBYG at WLVT.org. Leave my name out of it. Those aren't coming through. You'll find all of this contact information, answers to all your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, and our priceless podcast. It's all at our website, YouBetYourGarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly from Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when an ancient wizard found him digging in the dirt and revealed to him the secrets of making super soil. 
Our musical director is Ken Queter. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Cheerful Charlie, Sarah, whose son just threw a complete game, is our audio engineer. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work and ponder lots of beautiful pictures at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless, peerless, fearless, our fearless princess, a profound production is Teresca, 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 um, Miss Radke. Our audio editor is the lovely Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is Judicious Jake Boyer. Our harassed and harried director is Javier Diaz. Thanks for the bagels. The one, the only, Zach the Taquisneski is said to be doing a lot for the show this week. Uh, but he's kind of in another room or he could be at home. So for all I know, he could be asleep. I wish I was. The usual gang of idiots includes Jacob Morris, the guy in charge of standing around and the lookout for the employees shooting craps in the back room. What? Don't roll on a three, you fool. You fool. Special thanks to fearless leader Tim Fallon, who tried Morris dancing before the Board of Health shut him down. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, celebrating compost every week and looking forward to our special welcome spring show with a bevy of dancing Morris men. That's next week. Church. I passed along 